And so this passage is known among our, our, our Jewish friends as the Shema. It's one of the most sacred places of the Hebrew Bible. And it begins by saying, the Lord is one. Now it means a couple of things. One, it does mean there's only one true living God. In other words, our hearts are formed to worship. We're going to worship something, and we're either going to worship God... Or we're going to chase after the idols, often seductive idols, of our culture that that can captivate us and often can lead to a lot of pain and misery and hurt and broken relationships. But more deeply than that, what God's really saying is, what's number one in our lives? Will the Lord be number one? In other words, what's the center of gravity of our hearts? Is God number one? Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled, Homegrown Faith. It was based on Deuteronomy 6, 1-9. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, parents or grandparents or those of us who might be called to be spiritual parents in children's lives... What an amazing stewardship it is that God has entrusted children to us, whether it's as a church family or, or as parents or grandparents or, again, as spiritual parents. You know, imagine if, if every parent in the world thought a little bit less, you know, these are just my kids and I can do whatever with them, but they're kind of on loan from God. These are God's kids, and God has entrusted us with these precious children. Handle with care. Handle in the way that God would want them to be nurtured and raised and loved and disciplined. But I know also parenting can be an incredible challenge. True life confession. Now, confession is good for the soul. It's not the best for the reputation, but it's good for the soul. And let me confess to you that it's a lot easier to preach a sermon than it is then to go home, especially when our children were young, to then go home and have a Christ-centered marriage and be a wise parent to my children. Because there's constant zingers. It's unscripted. We never quite know what's going to happen next when we bring people into community that close together. Matter of fact, I think oftentimes home and marriage and family is one of the primary places for our spiritual formation. It's where we grow so much because we're confronted with who we really are and we realize things about ourselves that God shows us both to encourage us, but also to bring us to our knees to depend upon God, but also to shape us when we realize some of the stuff that's actually coming out of us. It's challenging. But marriage, home, family, for those who are called to marriage and children, is also one of the most strategic mission outposts of God's kingdom. Parents, grandparents, remember that the most influential place in a person's life is their family of origin. It shapes us more than anything else that then we can either take that and pass that along or discern and make some changes to that and maybe break some generational cycles if we need to. But our home is is one of the most influential places of Christ's mission. It's why as a church we stand together with each other's marriages and the joy, the challenge, and the messiness of marriage We stand with parents to help nurture their children in faith. Um, We stand as a church community. Uh, For those of you who are college students, uh, and many of you are far away from home, we want the church to be a home away from home. 
where you can be loved, where you can experience God's grace, where you can grow more equipped to follow Christ for a lifetime. And so we commit to partner with marriages and families and with all the generation that God entrusts to us. So we're in the midst of just a two-week sermon series, Generation to Generation, and we're exploring how the dynamic kind of duo of church and home can help invest in the next generation. So will you join me in Deuteronomy chapter 6? It's in the Blue Bibles in front of you. It's on page 178. So let's have everyone turn in it either to the Blue Bibles in front of you on page 178 or cue up your, your device, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, because we're one church in the house here and, and in homes and cafes and all kinds of different places online, for those of you online, uh, cue up your, your device or find Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's join together in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, it's not very often that God begins a section of Scripture and He says, Hear this. Listen to this. If you've been kind of sleepily reading through or listening to Scripture, hold on, wake up, listen to this. This is something to God that just has preeminent importance from God's heart. And the word here, hear, in other words, hear, O Israel, or hear all of God's covenant people, is translated from the Hebrew word shema. And so this passage is known among our, our, our Jewish friends as the shema. It's one of the most sacred places of the Hebrew Bible. Matter of fact, this is the first passage of Scripture that Jewish children memorize in their home. It's the first thing memorized in Hebrew school. It's so important. It's so cherished. And remember when Jesus was asked, you know, what's really most important? Can you, can you summarize it? And Jesus quotes the Shema. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he quotes this. And it begins by saying, the Lord is one. Now it means a couple of things. One, it does mean there's only one true living God. In other words, our hearts are formed to worship. We're going to worship something and we're either going to worship God or we're going to chase after the idols, often seductive idols, of our culture that, that can captivate us and often can lead to a lot of pain and misery and hurt and broken relationships. <clears throat> but more deeply than that, what God's really saying is, what's number one in our lives? Will the Lord be number one? In other words, what's the center of gravity of our hearts? Is God number one? Because if not, if God's not the center of our lives, of our motives, of our hearts, the thoughts of our mind, then what's going to happen is we're going to be captivated by other idols. And you know some of the American idols, right? They can often be toxic relationships or we turn to a substance or we feel like we have to have this status or we do whatever it takes to fit in with that social circle. And before we know it, those things take center of gravity of our hearts and they own us and we all know people who have shipwrecked their lives and caused pain and hurt because those idols are what they began to worship so when we begin talking about how to pass faith to the next generation as a church and in our homes God doesn't start with here's six quick strategies in order to make sure your kids follow God that's not what it starts with Oh, those may be good things but it starts with the heart where's our heart 
Because wherever our hearts are, that's going to become the overflow of our lives. And especially in the unscripted environments of life, that's what we're going to regurgitate. That's what we're going to share with the people who we're closest to in our lives. And so verse 5 continues, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. First thing God says is if we're really going to pass faith, whether it's to the next generation or within our own generation, is about loving God. In other words, not just having a Sunday faith. You know, a little bit of behavior modification. And we speak kind of Christianese language and it's on Sunday morning and then it's not real throughout the week. See, the choice is to have that kind of superficial spirituality or to be growing toward, we'll never fully arrive, but by God's grace, as we stumble along, by God's grace, we grow more of a 24-7, 365 faith that's integrated into every venue of our lives because kids know the difference. Kids know whether it's real or not. First Baptist has a significant percentage of our church family who either this is their first church or they had some kind of church experience when they were young and then they wandered away or they were driven away by different things. And now they've found their way back, back into church and, and back into just experiencing God's love and grace and their identity in Christ. And it's amazing how many people, matter of fact, so many people share with me, I can't believe I'm back in church. And a lot of them say, I can't believe I'm, back, I'm in a Baptist church, right? But we're only kind of sort of Baptist, okay? But, but it's amazing. But here's what I hear tragically far too often. I hear this, you know, my parents, well, we went to church some as a family, but it didn't make any difference at home. Or, you know, we, we never talked about it. I think they just thought, hey, we did the church thing, check it off, and, and like we never followed up, we never talked about it. I had questions, I was struggling. I, I wanted to know, how, how does faith fit in? But it was something we never talked about, or, or it was a toxic faith. There was either a lot of anger or abuse, or, or a faith that was so politicized, or whatever it was, that people are deconstructing, saying, man, I... If that's faith, that's toxic. I don't want that. And just too many people who I've heard share these things. By the way, if that's you, welcome back to church. And we want the church to be the safest place on earth, to be real, to wrestle with God's grace, to help each other up, and to inspire each other to fulfill the vision that God's called for each of our lives. Amen? It's our calling as a church community together. Now, got to make sure that we understand we're not talking about perfect lives. Please don't leave this, this message depleted somehow thinking, oh, I don't measure up. What we're talking about is having a growing faith so that God's grace can be seen. It's like God's grace is on display for our kids or the emerging generations at church. And we're looking for those teachable moments. Because let's remember, we, we can't program anyone, especially kids, to have a teachable moment. Hey, in my schedule, this is, this is now when I have time to do a teachable moment. Here you go, kids. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to program a teachable moment. It, it doesn't work like that, does it? Those teachable moments happen all kinds of different times in unexpected ways. And you see, if we have a 24-7 faith, we're growing in our faith. We're at least going to be more equipped 
to have those conversations together with our kids or at church, emerging generation, or people of our own generation. See, kids see, and emerging generations at churches see, that when good things happen, they see their parents or people praising God and, and giving glory to God. Kids see when, when we're hurting, they see church community coming around and loving. I'll never forget about 12 years ago, I, I had subacute thyroiditis, okay? And I was in bed for four months. It was a really challenging time. And we had young children then. And, and, and I remember so, so often I would hear voices in our living room below. I, I was in bed in our bedroom. And, and Carolyn would come up later and say, you know, a, a handful of folks from church just came and with our family just prayed for us. People brought meals. Because I'll take Carolyn's working hard taking care of me. And when I'm sick, I'm a handful. All right, and, and, and some guys mowed the lawn for us during that. My kids have never forgotten that. Oftentimes, my kids, pastor's kids, they're like, man, growing up in the church, growing up at First Baptist, growing up as a pastor's kid, man, that's the greatest thing in the world because they saw community, imperfect community. They also saw things that broke their heart and mistakes, but, but they saw a witness of community when we share life together. And when kids fail, and they feel ashamed, when parents are able to help them experience God's grace and know that they're secure in God's grace, or when we have decisions to make and they see us turning to God and praying, maybe as a family together they see the parents praying, or when we make a mistake when we seek forgiveness with our kids. If there's one signature thing for me, as a father, it's a number of times I had to go to our children. And I had to say to them, Ann, Jim, you know what Dad said, or you know how stressed I was, you know how I was pushing it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Those are powerful moments between a parent, a child, or, or, or any relationship at all. One of the things that, that, that really helped me understand how important a 24-7 faith is, again, I don't mean perfect, but growing in God's grace, depending on God's grace, allowing grace to be seen by people, was um, <clears throat> years ago, this is like probably 25, 27 years ago, I was, um, a lot of you weren't even born then. Man, I feel so old. So about, you know, you know years ago, I was the, the keynote speaker at a marriage conference on the Oregon coast. So there's a hotel, you know, this uh, conference room filled, filled with couples, and uh, I spoke four times, and then we had like meals together, and you know, see each other in the elevators, whatever like that. And about four months later, my family and I are at the mall. We had two young children. Now, Greg struggles at the mall, okay? Matter of fact, I'm kind of, one of the COVID blessings is I don't have to go to the mall, right? I just order online, and we're we're at Macy's and our kids and it's afternoon and I'm tired and kids and I'm grumpy and I'm okay and right then I hear a voice behind me that says are you Greg Moselle I saw I rehearsed in my mind turning around and saying, no I'm not Greg Moselle I know Greg Moselle he's a godly man he would never act, act like I'm, I'm his younger brother or I you know I know him but he's it's not Greg. but yeah I'm, I'm Greg 
And this young couple just stepped forward and said, oh, the marriage conference, you were there. And, and it helped us so much in the resources that you had for us to follow up. And thank you so much. Meanwhile, my family's standing there, like, yeah, okay, yeah, right, Greg, Dad, yeah, what, you know. And it was, it, it, it was really a moment that kind of broke me. I just thought, Lord, help me to have a 24-7 faith. And when I'm not... Will your spirit shine a light and make me so uncomfortable that I'll be swift to repent and change? And God is gracious to us. Well, God begins with heart. What's happening in our hearts? So the number one thing that we can do to impact the emerging generation, whether it's in our homes, as a church, or, or our peers, is if we really are growing in our love for God, if it's real, if it's genuine. But then we need to translate that from heart to habits. And that's exactly what this passage does, the last few verses, moves from our heart to how do we execute, you know, how do we put this into action with habits, move down to verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, this word impress, when I looked at it, because remember the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language with a couple of sections in Aramaic, I expected the Hebrew word to have impressed to be like a mold. I was ready to preach it. You know, it's like a mold. Help shape our children. But that's not what the text says. Matter of fact, the, the, the word for impress is the Hebrew word shinatam, and it really means repeat. A literal translation here would say repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat, helping to nurture our children, being repeatedly ready for those teachable moments with our children. Wow. In verse 7 it reads, when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, that's wherever we are. When you lie down and when you get up, that's whenever throughout the day. If it was written today, it might be like saying, in the mundane realities when we're home together, which, by the way, that's the highest percentage of our lives in families together, and that's really most of where our faith is won and lost, just in the mundane, everyday realities of life, who we are and how we interact with each other. See, it's a lot easier to preach a sermon. It's a lot easier to lead a Bible study than it is to be authentically following Christ 24-7 in the midst of the zingers that come up of life in marriage, family, and just everyday life. It'd be like saying when you're driving in the car with the kids, when you're riding the bus with your child, when you're sitting at the dinner table, when you're tucking kids in at bed, when often they're the most receptive and we're tired, but, it's like, but, but, but this might be that. When we're helping them with our homework or when we're watching something online and we notice, hmm, and we might have a conversation about it about what that means and, and, and how a faith lens might exegete that. Now, who was masterful at this is my wife, Carolyn, not me. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. A lot of this was all new to me. But Carolyn is masterful. And let me just share a couple of things um, uh, just from, from her mothering, okay? First of all, when we would travel in our, in our minivan, we'd listen to children's praise tapes just about wherever we go. And we'd be singing. Sometimes the kids say, hey, Dad, could you sing a little quieter, you know, because I'm, I'm... The guys always make sure, right? Right? Uh, Caitlin, Dan, boy, the, the, the... Yeah, yeah, he's... Yeah, always turn my microphone off when I sing, right? But, but we'd sing wherever we went in, in the van. Uh, 
Carolyn would read great classic literature. I'll never forget she was reading the Chronicles of Narnia to our kids. I didn't grow up Christian home. I had never read it. I'd read C.S. Lewis, but not Chronicles of Narnia. And, 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 she, and the kids are just spellbound. I'll never forget our son Jim, who's now 25 years old. And he bought his own house. He lives in Connecticut. Isn't that amazing? So our son Jim, when Aslan was killed on the stone um, monolith, he, um, Jim just said, that's Jesus. Aslan's, this story's about Jesus. And he starts talking about it. I'm like, man, that's, dude, that's like, what a precious moment, huh? There was another time, the first chapter book he read was Pilgrim's Progress the children's version. And when Pilgrim, I think Christian in the kids' version, finally enters into the terrestrial city, he's reunited with his mom, who died. Jim starts crying. And he says, Mom, when you get to heaven, you get to be back together with your family and other people. You can't make this stuff up. You can't, you can't program that stuff. It's just part of everyday life. There'd be time when uh, our kids would want to buy the latest thing, and sometimes we would, but there were other times Carolyn was, she would just say, you know, we could afford that, but, but let's let, look at Manya, she, she, our, our, our world vision child. You know, it, if we buy that, we won't be able to support her for her school books and her school fees and for to have healthy food and immunizations. Wow, what, what a moment for kids. We would often host people, you know, holidays, Thanksgiving, uh, Easter, things like that. You know, often people who, this is before COVID, um, who were internationals from around the world. So they could be in a home. But we had an ulterior motive. We're not quite as altruistic as you think. See, our ulterior motive was, here's these young, cool Christ-following young adults who would just mix in with our kids. And it was a beautiful witness for our kids to see and to experience it. I want to say this, we also, because of Carol and not me, because I'm not a real fun guy, okay, but we would play so many fun games, and sometimes I'd be thinking, well, I'm just playing these games, and then I'd see our kids laugh and, and just share experiences together and have a fun home, and I'm like, I get this. You know? So whatever it is for us, whatever works for us, here's, I think, a powerful prayer for parents and really all of us as we think about sharing faith. Number one is, God, would you give us teachable moments? Would you evoke those teachable moments? And God, would you help us to be ready to capture those teachable moments? Well, verses 8 and 9 wrap this all up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, please don't take this too literally. Please don't come next Sunday with, like, Scripture tattooed on your forehead. Okay, please don't put funky, like, Christian bumper stickers on your house or whatever like this. This is what this is really saying. It's a portrait of a literal truth. See, it talks about the hands in verse 8. The hands are what we do. In other words, in everything we do, be thinking, is this honoring God? Does this reflect loving God? In our heads, that's what we think. Am I reflecting on God's truth? Or is my mind kind of chasing after some of the idolatry of thoughts in our culture? And then in verse 9, the door frames. The door frames represent our homes. 
when we're in our homes behind closed doors? Are we at least striving under God's grace to live out our faith? And when we struggle, we seek forgiveness and we teach and learn God's grace. So here's really the challenge. For all of us who'd be spiritual parents, and for those of us who are parents with kids in our home or grandparents, am I growing in my faith? You can't short-circuit it. It's, it's what kids, it's what the next generation needs, is people truly, authentically growing in, in faith. If I'm married, am I loving my spouse? And when mom and dad love each other, that's one of the most powerful things for kids. It helps define love for them. Am I, am I looking for the teachable moments? And when we're struggling in our marriage or family, are we, are we reaching out for help? I want the church to be the safest place on earth. If you're struggling, reach out. Because the church isn't a museum of perfect people. It's, it, it's a hospital for us who are in triage, who are learning what it means to follow Christ together so we can help each other through this. And for all of us, will we be spiritual parents for a generation or two younger than us to help them to see authentic faith and pour into their lives? A few resources. We talked about these last week as we wrap this series up. Uh, first of all, The Genius of Generosity, a little book. They're on the table in the, the back of the sanctuary on the left side. This is just about financial stewardship because we know there's a lot of pressure financial stewardship for every generation and for marriages, families, just, just to help us to be wise stewards. Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, um, powerful book. Uh, the authors open up saying, we're not the greatest parents, we struggle with this, here's what we've learned. So it's real stuff. At Kids World Check-In, parents stop and there's copies down there to pick up. Uh, all this is free. And then the parent queue, um, is an app. I have the app. Now, since our kids are grown, our dog, Snickerdoodle, is my kid on it, but that way I can get um, uh, delivered to us, right, delivered to us videos and articles and tips and ideas about nurturing our kids, and, and some videos are for kids. Uh, the link was in a church email a couple weeks ago, and we'll feature it again. One other resource, there's a prayer gathering tonight here. Uh, in, in the fireside lobby at 7 o'clock. We're going to pray it up for the new school year. We're going to pray it up for, for college students. We're going to pray it up for the kids in, in our community. Pray, pray for each other's marriages. Um, we're also going to pray for, for God's healing in our fractured, broken, violent, abusive world. So that's here tonight at 7 o'clock. There will be an email come out this afternoon about it. To wrap it up... <clears throat> I want us to stand together and renew our commitment from Psalm 78 that we'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to invest in the emerging generations as a church family. So let's stand together. Let's in unison read this, but make this our heart's prayer and our devotion together. We will tell the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will teach the children about God's power and the marvelous things the Lord has done. Then the next generation would know the Lord, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then the next generation can put their trust in God.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.